It's August 8th, 2010, and this is The Candid Frame. Welcome to another episode of the show, and thanks to all of you who have made donations to the program. Your donations have helped to pay for the fixes to my computer that had delayed the show for several weeks, so thanks to you, we're now back on our regular bi-weekly schedule. Today, I have a guest who I'm glad to say is not only a wonderful photographer, but also a friend. Since I had the opportunity to meet him for the first time a few years ago, Paul Giraud has impressed me as not only a talented photographer, but a man passionate about many things in life, not the least of which is his family and using his camera to serve others. I enjoy any opportunity to speak with Paul, and I'm more than pleased to share this particular conversation with you. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Paul Giroux. Paul, welcome to The Candid Frame. It's a pleasure to finally have you. I know when I talked to you, I think a couple of years back now, uh, (laughs) it seemed I had mentioned that I wanted to get you on the show, so I'm glad that uh, we're finally making it happen. Me too. It's it's been a long time, but I'm really really glad we're we're, we're able to speak today. I've, I've been familiar with your work for a bit, and I really enjoyed the opportunity to see you speak a little while back, but for... The listeners who may not be familiar with with your work, why don't we start with your beginnings as a photojournalist? Because I think when people go to your site, they'll see a lot of your wedding and portrait work. But we'll be, we'll be surprised that you started off in in photojournalism. Tell us about that. Well, I wanted to be a journalist since I was a kid. Really, I at twelve I was doing a Boy Scout merit badge and was doing work for the local paper. So journalism was kind of in my blood from an early start, and then. I went to journalism school, got a degree, got an internship at the Milwaukee Journal and Sentinel, which led to my internship the next year at the Chicago Tribune, and then that was a full, that led to a full-time job. So I, I started newspapers as a full-time staffer right out of college, literally, and uh, at age about age 23. So I was really fortunate because I know a lot of people would spend their whole lifetime trying to get at a newspaper like the Tribune. And uh, I worked for the Tribune for a couple years in Chicago, and then they transferred me to the Washington, D.C. Bureau, where they were opening up a photography position. So I covered the last, uh, the second term of the Reagan administration, and a little bit of the, the the last assignment I did for the Tribune was the Bush inauguration. And then I left to freelance for about 18 months for a French agency called Sigma, which was later bought by Corbis. And then I was missing newspapers and had enough of Washington, and so I was looking for opportunities in newspapers again. So I went to Phoenix and worked at the Arizona Republic, and I spent 12 years there, and it was a great experience. I mean, all of my experiences in journalism pretty much were great, but that was particularly good because I went to a smaller staff where it was more intimate, and yet we still did a lot of traveling, a lot of national and international stories, and so it was a really good mix of the big and the small. And then after... I met my wife. I left newspapers. It had been almost 20 years, and we wanted to relocate, and we picked up and moved from Arizona to California. We didn't have a job, but we just wanted to um, start our married life together there and begin raising our family in California. So that's what we did, and 
So for the last, well, since 2002, I've been a commissioned photographer doing portraits and wedding, and uh, I really love the work that I do, and it takes all of those skills that I did in journalism, and now I kind of bring it to, all to um, fruition in the weddings and the portraits. It's it's a really, a, you know, all of those things that I learned along the way are, are brought to bear in the work that I do now. What were some of those skills that you feel that journalism provided you that really have helped you in your work that you do today? Well, one of the things about journalism that was that's always been there is that unless you're doing a, an environmental portrait or an executive portrait of somebody for a story, you really have to photograph people as they're doing things. They, they have to be in the moment, and you, you can't orchestrate it. You have to get really good at watching what happens, observing it, thinking, where's the photograph here, and where do I need to be to make that photograph? So you, you get good at kind of assessing a situation as it's fluid, and you get good at figuring out where to stand so that you can be in the right place with the right lens at the right time and make, make that right moment, because you can't restage it. And so that kind of training is invaluable, especially for the kind of work that I do with my weddings and portraits, which even though I do portraits of kids, most of them are really natural on location. And I mean, there's a certain aspect of, of posing and directing a little bit, but then there's also the aspect of just letting them be themselves and then capturing them in, that, in those moments, which is something that most parents can't do because, one, they're not trained, and two, they often just don't have the tools to do it. I mean, if they're shooting photos with a point-and-shoot or even their cell phone, they're just not going to be able to make moment kind of photographs that are going to look like a professional photographer who's had experience capturing news and sports for 30 years. Has So, I mean, that's how it kind of comes to bear. I mean, I did a lot of lighting as well throughout my career. I did a lot of freelance work, too, when I was in Phoenix especially. And um, so I do know how to light and use studio lights and use portable lights on location and things like that. But... If I can get away with it, I'll try to use available light as much as possible because I still love the feel of it and I love how unencumbered it makes the situation for both myself and for my clients. They just don't have to worry about a big production happening. They can just be in the moment. And one of the things you definitely learn as a photojournalist is that, you know, one shot is not going to do it. It may be only one shot that gets printed in the paper, but in terms of what's involved in actually making the images. You have to take dozens and dozens of images just to have the opportunity to have that one shot that, that tells the story. And I think a lot of people, when, they, when they're photographing their family or their friends or their kids, they're taking too few pictures and they're not really aware that they're missing possibly a much better opportunity if they just keep keep shooting. I totally agree. And I just think that that the times that you least expect to make photographs are the times that photographs often happen in your lap. And, and you can't make photographs if your camera's put away in a closet or in a camera bag with the lens cap on it. You have to be always in a position to make photographs. I mean, I've been doing this project for this whole year, and I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit later, but I have a camera out all the time being that's ready to make photographs. And sometimes it's even not close enough in the house. I have to run downstairs to make it, it's not always on my person. It's ready to go in the house. But sometimes I even miss a photograph here because it's not right on me at all times. But I, I totally agree. I mean, with digital especially, I mean, there's no cost to really capture because you can always delete it. You don't necessarily have to store it. Now, I like to save that stuff. But, I mean, there's no reason to not make a lot of photographs of your family. I mean, these are the people you love. You want to make the most photos of them so you have a real photographic legacy for them. 
Well, most photographers can tell you the story that their kids at some point just detest the idea of their their, their parent turning the camera towards them. Um, mm-hmm. How old are your kids, and have they reached that point yet, or are you lucky enough that they, they still aren't bothered too much by Daddy pointing the camera they, in the direction? They are so used to it that it's almost like I'm like a, they're oblivious to me, especially my daughter, who's she'll be she's four and a half, she'll be five at the end of the year, and I literally photographed her from before she was born through the delivery. I mean, my poor wife is delivering our first child, and I've got three cameras around me, and I'm photographing my my daughter Kate being born, and you know, she's really knows that she just needs to do what she's doing, and I photographed her when she's in, an, in like having a snit, and sometimes when she's like got a got a scrape or something like that, because I want to photograph every aspect of her life, not just the photographs where she's smiling and looking at the camera. I love that. But my favorite photographs of her are when she is really lost in thought and kind of quiet and kind of in uh, a more kind of evocative pose, I guess. And I, to me, that's really who she is. She's a sassy little thing, but there's also that kind of quiet side to her, which I really love to capture. And my son is young. He's 10 and a half months, so he's just like... You know, he's just learning how to walk and are getting close to walking. So he doesn't really, it doesn't really affect him. I photograph him a lot. And my wife um, uh, pointed out to me today that we still don't have any photographs of my son on the wall yet. So we're going to have to remedy that situation soon. That's where it pays off to be the firstborn. I know. I'm the second child, so I kind of (laughs) know. Poor kid. So having, how has ha- you having your own kids and you photographing your kids regularly impacted how you photograph other people's children? Oh, it's not only impacted how I photograph children, but it's impacted how I photograph weddings. Because now, and I'm an older dad too, so I got a late start on both marriage and having children. So I kind of got a lot of stuff out of my system before I was married. So I am only on my first wife, not my second wife. But... um the, the, the thing is, is now I just have, I really want to make photographs for my clients that I would want to make of my own child. Now, it's not always possible because our sessions are limited to sometimes an hour, an hour and a half at the most, but I still want to make a photograph for them that they would want to put up on their mantle, like I've got a photo of my daughter that I made a couple summers ago that I still love to this day. I want to make photographs for them that that they will look at in 30 years and be so glad that they spent whatever they spent to have me do that photograph for them, that they won't even think about it because what kind of a cost can you put on something that's such a treasure like that, that means so much to them? And I mean, especially when it comes to weddings, now having a daughter, I have such, such total empathy for the dads and what they're going through. And I think about, well, gosh, what's it going to be like when I walk my daughter down the aisle that if, you know, God willing, all that happens. And I think about that first dance, and I mean, it just, you know, it's kind of cool. So, I mean, it really it really means a lot to me because I want to preserve for people, my clients, the kind of things I want to preserve for myself. And I didn't even get that until I was older. I mean, here I am photographing all over the place, and yet the people that I was, that I loved the most, I was photographing the least. And that's just like, gosh, that seems, now when I look back on it, I think, God, how crazy is that? So... I just want to make photographs that I'm going to love looking at and I'm going to love the experience of making those photographs. You've been working on a project where you're photographing every day and posting it on on, on the blog. Tell us about 
why you decided to do that because it's something that's often done by a lot of lot of photographers but not too often by people who are making a living as a photographer tell us yeah. about your choice to to do that and to put those images out there and how it's how it's impacted you this year well it's it it came out as, as a result of last year wanting to make photographs that were more personal for me and less commercial or more uh, less client driven the last uh, the the second the second half of last year was really a whirl whirlwind of activity. I photographed a uh, a project that had I photographed 300 children throughout the year, and by the end of the year, I was I was kind of tired, and I wanted to do something that would kind of rejuvenate me and kind of reignite my creative juices. And so I happened to see this movie Julie Julie and Julia, which was about this woman who decided to every day make a recipe from the Julia Child's book, and I, and then she did a blog about it, and I thought wow, that was so cool because I know about the power of daily discipline. I mean, I, I work out and I, I was a runner in high school and college, and so I know what it means to do something every day, and I know what it means as a new photographer to do something every day because it gets you really good at the technical stuff. And I needed to get back to doing photos. Even if I was stuck in the, in the, in the studio doing post-production, I needed to get out and make something. I needed to look through the lens. I needed to frame the world, and I needed to make a photo. So... It was about creating something every day. It was about having a little forum to share it, but it was also about imposing some technical limitations to it with the, the, the camera and then the lens because I wanted that lens that, to me, is one of the toughest lenses. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> it's one of the toughest lenses to use really well, I think, which is the 50-millimeter or normal lens on the 35-millimeter size sensor, the 5D Mark II. And... Um, the nice thing about it is, is it's very small. It's easier to carry. It's not like a big zoom that says, oh, yeah, photographer is in, is in, the, in the vicinity. It's one of those kind of low-profile things. I mean, it'd be even smaller with a Leica and a 50, kind of like the Cartier-Bresson approach. But I'm doing it with a digital camera. It just makes doing this daily thing really a lot easier to produce and get out. Um, and so it just was a challenge both from an artistic standpoint and kind of um, – forcing me a discipline standpoint too to just get back to making photographs for me. And plus I want to create a book at the end of this year of all of those photographs and all of those entries because I want my kids to have that so that in 30 years they'll look back on that book that we created together because they're in many of the photographs, not all of them, but a lot of them. And they're going to remember what their life was like here when they were four and a half and 10 months, 10 and a half months old. And I mean, we spent the month of March in South Africa. So my, my son was five months old. I mean, he won't remember this, but he will have those photographs and he'll have the stories. And so he'll always be able to look back and remember. And hopefully he'll be thankful that his dad took the time to do that for him and for his sister. I really like that you're mentioning the 50 millimeter lens because I love the 50. Um, yeah. I think it's just a fantastic lens. And I think it's great to see what you've been doing with it. I go to your blog every day to see what you're doing and the quality of the images up there is just astounding and I think a lot of Thank people you. would be surprised that you're doing it with a 50 millimeter lens with so much so much focused on these incredible zoom lenses yeah, but yeah. I think what's what's good about it is not how you how, how you so effectively use the limited depth of field I think we see a lot of that but what I think you do really well is how effectively you use the negative space in the image because the, you can make 
a, a, a good portrait that is really sort of really tight on the face and focuses on the eyes. But a lot of your compositions, particularly your horizontal compositions, include a good amount of negative space, which really ends up making for a much more interesting composition as well as being able to really make the subject that much more pronounced in in the frame. Thanks for noticing. I mean, I, <clears throat> I took a, a seminar with Bill Allard, the geographic photographer, in 1989. And, <clears throat> excuse me, one of the things that he said was make every square millimeter of that frame mean something. And, um, and I still remember that, that, that lecture because I think it's so true. Every piece of information in that photograph has to be there for a reason. And the thing about the 50-millimeter lens is it reveals context. It really allows you, even at a large aperture, to kind of get a sense for the place and the space. You can't get that with an 85. You can't get it with a 100 macro. You're gonna, that's, that's going to be obliterated. And a 35 is a little tougher to do it, um, but I wanted to do it with a 50 because I think it exposes the weaknesses of a photographer. It's one of those uh, lenses that if you don't use it right, if you don't think with it, it, it can be perceived as a boring lens. But if you use it well, if you use your aperture's creatively, I think it can be one of the most beautiful lenses that's in, in our toolkit that also is one of our most forgotten lenses. So it's kind of an homage to kind of that long forgotten lens. But I'm also playing with a manual focus lens for part of it too. I use autofocus and a manual focus lens. The manual focus is a Zeiss 50mm 1.4 lens and it has a look that is unbelievable. It's amazing to me. It's it has uh, the highlights look a different way than the, my Canon 512L looks. It's just not that one's better, but I just there's sometimes I just love the look of the Zeiss even more. But there's other times that the Canon is a better choice because I want to work at a f 1.6 aperture or something like that. But it, having that fast aperture lens allows me to control the look, and that controls the way the viewer goes into the photograph and and what they see. And what and when I focus on what I what I leave in that negative space is really what I tell them where I want them to go. Do you find that the, the 365 project for you is resulting in you, resulting in you taking photographs that you might not otherwise take? Totally, totally. Like I've, I've still got to post a couple from the last, the previous days. I'm probably, I'm two days behind as we talk and I'll catch up, but I've got, I keep them separate, like the cards separate for the days so that I can go back and, and then do the edits. But like the other day, I was busy, busy, busy in the studio, and I mean, I was doing calls because we've got this promotion going on right now, and it's been crazy, and getting sessions scheduled and, you know, some big plans coming up for the rest of the year, so we've got a lot of stuff on our plate. And I was like, geez, it's 4 o'clock, and I don't have a photo today. What am I going to make? So I look out, and I mean, it forces me to go out. And, you know, I, I photograph a lot of, of some of the natural world around us because most of these photos are made within, like, you know, like, yards of my house and that's kind of by design to show that there's photos everywhere if we look hard enough and I try to make photographs that are interesting now is every photograph going to be like something that's worth uh, 20 by 30 on your mantle no but I think when you look at the whole body of work I think there's some really really strong single images but I think I keep thinking back to January 1st 2011 and how I'm going to feel when I see that entire body of work and how it's going to look in a book. And I just think that it's going to say so much about this, this year. And it's just such an honor to the commitment of doing it every day. And it's, it's not easy. It's like when I was a kid uh, in high school, I set a goal to run every day in a year. 
And gosh, there was days in Wisconsin when I was young that I just did not want to go out, but I still went out. And it always reminded me that when you honor that commitment, you're always rewarded. The days I felt worse about going out were the days that I always, when I was running, I would always feel great. And it's kind of that same way with photography, too. There's days you just don't want to go out and make a photograph. But then when you're out and you're doing it because you said you would, you're always rewarded with a photograph that's better than you can expect, or at least that's what I tend to find. What's been the reaction to the project, to the people who have been going there? Not only you know your family and friends, but your, your clients and other photographers that you know. What are they saying about it? It's surprising because I think a lot of people, like I had one of my clients come in to view her portraits of her daughter, and she was saying, oh, I, re- I really want you to know how much I, I enjoy your blog. And she said, you write so well. And it's like that was kind of a neat thing for somebody to say who's not really a photographer. And, you know, she's, she's a mom and a, and, a, and a neighbor. And it was just like I've got one of my wife's friends who's a, a, a designer, and she goes on the blog every day. And she, you know, a lot of these people go on and they don't post, but it's just so nice to know that they're actually caring about that project. My mother-in-law, she gets mad at me if I've missed a day or two. Like, she'll chew me out if I'm on day three and she hasn't seen her photos because that's one of the first things that, that she goes and looks at in the morning when she wakes up is to see what I did that night. So, you know, I, I, you sometimes forget about it because it's not like a newspaper where you've got like a daily printed magazine or printed tactile kind of thing. It's, you know, like you're kind of creating in a bit of a void, but it's still creating. And it's it's just nice to know that there are people out there that, that are checking it out and go see it. And, you know, it's, 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 it's really a project for my family and, and it's also for me, but I'm really glad that a lot of people have been kind of, uh, it's, it's meant something to them too. One of the bigger, bigger projects you've been working on is that Children of Orange County. And you were yeah, kind enough yeah. to give me a copy uh, of the book that you produced a couple of years back, which is just beautiful. But oh, thanks. it's an ongoing thing. But why don't you tell our listeners about what what this consists of? Well, what it does is it consists of a, a, a photographic session of the, the, the children here down in Orange County. And uh, what we do is we donate our time to do the session, to do the planning of the session, the image production, and then we present them to our clients. And they, in turn, donate uh, this year, it's $97 to Children's Hospital of Orange County. So they get basically a, a free session and a complimentary print for participating. And then we do the sessions. And um, the book is, has, last year was 160 pages. And um, this year we're a little bit behind schedule, but we, we've had such a flurry of activity in the last week. It's just been amazing. And so we're trying to finish this this year strong. Our goal is to do portraits of children from a hundred families between now and the end of September. So it's going to be hectic, but we've probably booked um, close to a, I'd say probably we're probably uh, about 10, 10 to 12 this week already. And there's still some more folks that are coming in because we've uh, got a promotion going on too this week. So it's, it's just been a great project. It's, totally changed the way my business is perceived in our community. And it's something that I would have never expected if somebody would have said, hey, you're going to do that charity book project. And when you do something like this, especially in in light of the economy, you're seen as one of the the good people because you're you're still giving to this, this, um, this nonprofit who really needs the contributions. 
in a time when it's harder for them to get contributions. And it's also great for my clients because they see the photographs and they love the photographs. They see the book and they realize, like one client did, she goes, I want to make sure that I have my daughter in this year's book too because I really want to have her in as many books as we possibly can. And I thought, wow, that's really such an honor for them to say that, that they want to be included in this book. And, you know, I think about it too with my daughter and her friends and now my son and his friends that he hangs out with and how I want them when they're 18 and 20 to be able to pull those books off the shelf and look back and remember that's how it was when they were four or three and even a year old. So I just think it's, it goes, it just continues on the sense of creating photographs that have meaning that have la- that have lasting power and that stick around and are going to be meaningful to people, not just now, but down the road too. It's a beautiful book, and I'm, I'm curious about the choice to play it so big, um, because the, this is a sizable book. It has a good heft to it, but it, displ- it displays the images quite beautifully, and it really serves them well. But tell us about the choice to go with that particular format of book for this project rather than a smaller one. Well, I, I've always loved, you know, like one of my favorite uh, size books is like The Day in the Life of Australia. I, I really particularly love that book in the series. To me, it had the most heart, and I love that size. And this book is kind of close to that size, not maybe maybe just a tiny bit smaller, but I've always thought photo books, um, there's something about a bound photographic book that has long-term staying power. I mean, working in newspapers for so long, you know, I still have clips when I was from when I was in college but those clips have aged and they've faded and they don't get looked at. But a book is something that gets looked at. You know, it gets, it has a life. You know, it's, it has a useful purpose to be on a bookshelf, to actually be read. It's kind of like a toy that gets used, you know, that kind of thing. And so I've, I just wanted to create a beautiful book that had real impact, that the photos were used well, that they were beautifully reproduced, and if that it would actually stand out. I mean, I really wanted something that was going to, just be a powerful representation of this project. And I think it, it, it is. One of the things I like about talking to you and, and what really impressed me when I saw you do that presentation in San Diego is your enduring passion for what you do for photography. And you've been doing it for quite a while. And I know people who have been doing it for half the time that you've been doing it who are completely burnt out. You know, yeah. who, And... How is it that you have been able to sustain that? Not only have you been able to you know, have a change of, of, of career uh, and be successful in both, but you're still having so much fun and joy being derived from the work that you do. Why is that? Well, I, I, I mean, I still, you know, I do, I have my own battles too. I mean, there comes points in frust- of frustration as well. I mean, I'm not immune from that, certainly. But I think the thing that helps me is I try to create photographs for me every time I photograph, even if it's something for a client and they may not buy it. Like I had a, a client come in last night and I made a photograph of their little, their youngest. They have three kids. And it was a photo that it's, it's the photo of the daughter from behind as she's running away and her hair is flying off the frame. And it was made, I think, with a 50 millimeter lens. What a surprise. And it shows, you don't even see her face, but her hair is like perfectly straight out in the air because of her movement. And the dad was there and he wasn't at the portrait session, so he didn't see it. And he goes, um, you, did you set that up? And I go, no, she just took off and I just turned and fired right when she did that. And it was almost kind of like a Hail Mary. 
where I just kind of put the camera out there. I don't even know if I brought it totally up to my eye. And I just had this feeling when I shot it that that could be a really cool frame. And I think that that's the kind of thing that I'm always looking to feel that experience every time I photograph. It was like when I was younger, I was always trying to make a photograph that I could put in my portfolio. And when you have that level of intentionality to try to make something beyond just something that fits the space in the newspaper, it's going to bring you a different energy level when you try to create something. And same thing, I'm just trying to make photographs that I want to look at that may not always appeal to the client, but they're surely going to appeal to me. And if they appeal to the client, like earlier this week I showed to a client uh, photos, and one of them was a photo of her son from behind, and it was backlit, and the shadow was cast long behind him, and he was totally in the air. And she loved that photo so much to pick it for her large wall photo. And I was like, wow, that's really cool. I mean, I don't even know if I would have picked that for the large (laughs) one. But because that was a photograph that they would have never seen themselves or they never would have made or never would have been able to make, you know, they thought, wow, that's the kind of photograph I want to have and look at every day. I think that's... Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no, go go right ahead. No, I think that's such an important point because I think a lot of people, when they venture out and they're starting a business or even if they've had a business for a while and they go out and they photograph they can fall into the trap of creating images that they think are marketable that will sell and what can happen is that they fall into a trap of creating images that are just like everything else that's out there i mean if you just type in you know wedding photography or children photography you can go to dozens of websites and just see image after image after image that looks exactly the same that's lit the same that's posed the same um that has the same cliche over and over again and i think that you address a really important point about photography is you always have to have it rooted in what you want and what you desire for yourself as an artist in order to be able to create something distinctive too many people really kind of fixate on developing a style but if you're not if you're not tapping into what it is about you that makes you unique and special as a as a seer much less a photographer you can't hope to really make anything that distinctive consistently right i mean i think the other thing too is when people are learning they want to create something that they know that they've seen and they know is successful and they imitate it because they want to kind of uh, know that they can do that as well. I mean, I, w- I was doing the same thing. But I'm, my, my instructor in college named John White from the Chicago Sun-Times used to used an analogy of Muhammad Ali, and I think it's appropriate for photographers. And he said that Ali used to study all the great fighters from the, you know, Joe, Joe Lewis, Rocky Marciano, all of those great fighters. And he studied the tape, and he looked at things, and he'd pull things from this one, and he'd pull some from that one, and then what you had was rope-a-dope. It just kind of became rope-a-dope. And that, that's kind of what I think photographers need to do. They need to look at photographers' work that they love and see how did they do that and what can I take from that and then see what another photographer is doing. And then they have to go and try that on and see how it fits for them and then make their own kind of adjustments based on their own kind of artistic aesthetic, their own kind of sensibilities, the way they like to work, their own tools that they like to use. I mean, I I don't want to just be like somebody else. I want photos that look like me and kind of a reflection of me, and I hope they are, but, you know, I I don't really set out to make a, 
like say, oh, I've got to get a signature style. It's got to have this look in Photoshop. I just basically want to make photographs that I want to look at that kind of fall along the, the aesthetic that I've been doing for 30 years. I mean, it's not much different than what I've done. It's, it still kind of looks the same, only now I might not use a film camera, but a digital camera, but hopefully has that same kind of feeling and aesthetic because I still think it's a good one. You shoot uh, a number of weddings, and with weddings, there's a certain expectation in terms of the shots that you need to get. You need to get the right. group shot. You have to get the, you know, the cake eating shot, the first dance shot. And how do you make those images that are so standard your own? What's your What's your thought process when you're at a wedding, and it's much like a a spot news event where you know you only have one chance at this. How, what's your thinking process for making sure that you get a, a shot that captures that moment, but as well is reflective of your own sensibility as a photographer? That's a good question because I think what I see so much in the wedding business is just kind of like this homogenation of wedding photography, like you had alluded to. And um, I think part of it is, is in the newspaper business, you always had to deliver the shot. You always had to make that safe shot, and that might have been the shot that you used flash on. But then you had another camera that maybe that was your second camera that was kind of your more like off-the-wall risky kind of camera. Maybe it was a wider lens or a tighter lens. So maybe what you do is you make that safe shot at the cake cutting, but then you stay with that moment and just watch. Maybe you switch to a telephoto and get really super tight on something. Or maybe you go wide and show the couple in, in the, the context of that ballroom. I mean, there's ways to do it. And I think... It really helps to to be committed to making great photographs, not making a, not necessarily making a great photograph that you made the week before. You've got to kind of, and it's harder the more weddings you do because I think it's it's easier to kind of get kind of locked into a a, um, a pattern. But you really have to break out of it and force yourself to break out of it, where you're going to kind of make take into account what the situation is, take into account the architecture, take into account the people look at the, how the other people interact with them, and then make a photograph that really represents what's actually happening in front of your lens rather than trying to make something happen or make something look like something that you've seen on somebody else's blog. I mean, where is it written that you've got to have these photos that are always from the same angle? Why not have a wedding photograph that actually looks like this person's wedding rather than somebody else's wedding? I mean... Every wedding is different. There are certain common themes that happen in a wedding, but what makes each wedding unique are the people involved, the place that they've selected, and the way that they interact with each other. I remember somebody once told me, he said, wherever people gather, there's a potential for photographs. And a wedding is a perfect example. I mean, there's great photos at every wedding, and you're not going to be able to make every photograph that's at a wedding. You can only make the photographs that you see but you don't necessarily have to see every wedding the same way. Yeah, because sometimes our, our our past successes can be a real albatross around our neck because we've produced an image. We know that when we do this, it works. And, right. and, and it's easy to fall back on that. But the trap is, is that you just keep making the same image over and over and over again. And then you, then you start wondering, well, why am I not excited about what I'm doing? And it's right. because you're just repeating yourself over and over. And it kind of gets back to that thing. You've got to make client-pleasing images, but you also have to make personal, you know, your own pleasing images, your personal kind of 
artistic images from a wedding. They may never get seen, they may never get bought by a client, but they are the kind of things that kind of revive the creative spirit when you're out and about. And it kind of reminds me when I, you know, like, I can't remember the, the number of times, you know, like I remember when I was an intern at the Milwaukee paper, we had one of the art uh, photo editors who was really a, a, a wonderful person. And the, the photo orders would come up or the photo assignments would come up and it would be all like meticulously planned about what you were going to get, what you were going to see. And then of course you go out there and it was nothing of the sort. You'd see something totally different. So, I mean, it's kind of like that is like, you got to be open to spontaneity. You got to be open to life. And I mean, I, I just, I just think that wedding photographers have to realize that it's okay that they just let the wedding unfold. It doesn't have to be what they think that one of the WPPI winning photographers would have necessarily done. It's got to be authentic for them and it's got to be true for their clients. They don't all have to look like everybody else's wedding. We live in a time where Photoshop has become a verb. And <laughs> I'm, I'm curious in terms of the expectations of your clients when it comes to Photoshopping. Because I look at your pictures and I, I, I'm not aware of the f- photo editing I know there's some involved, but I'm not as conscious of it as I am with other photographers. But in in your discussions with your your clients in terms of that particular aspect of your images, what's what do you see as their expectation now, and how do you sort of uh, deal with the fact that Photoshop is playing a role, but that it may not necessarily have to be as such a dominant role as some people would expect? Yeah, I, I you know there's different strokes for different folks. I don't do a lot of textures. I don't do a lot of like aging photographs to look like they were shot in 1950. I mean, I, I use basically uh, the film as my aesthetic. I mean, I look at what the NPH looks like and I look at what Tri-X and Neopan look like and I just think that that stuff looks pretty darn good. To me, it's like a Brooks Brothers suit. It looked great 50 years ago and uh, it still looks great today. I mean, there's the old classic lines of a Porsche, and those cars still, to me, resonate with class and with quality. They don't look trendy. They don't look flashy. And so that's kind of my foundational aesthetic. All of those images you see on my blog, every one of them has been worked because, frankly, right out of the camera, the raw files tend to look flat and boring. They do need some spunk. But that's no different than when we put an enlarge, a negative in the enlarger and decided to use Codabromide 4 or 5 to give a certain look to a photograph. And so I do Photoshop to the work and I dodge and I burn, but I don't want people to notice the, that, like you said. And I appreciate you saying that because I want people to get into the photograph. If they're noticing the technique, they're not noticing the content of that photograph. I want them to see that emotion. I want them to feel it. I want them to just get in touch with an authentic moment and not think, oh, wow, I wonder what texture that photographer used. Yeah, I think that's that's so important. I'm glad that uh, people are going to have an opportunity to see that work, to see how beautiful and subtle a portrait can can be, that it doesn't have to be so heavy, heavy-handed. Yeah. One of the things... It's kind of funny to me, back to that point, is I, I actually think if you look at some of the most successful wedding photographers out there right now, a couple of them that I particularly follow and like, not that I want to necessarily shoot like them because I think they do what they do so incredibly well, but they do it because it's a true representation of who they are, what they want to do, and it creates images for the clients that they love. But if you look at Jose Villa and Jonathan Camless, they both work in film. 
And the work is created in the camera. The film has a natural aesthetic that is really complementary to the way they see the world. And I think that there's, it's, it, it speaks volumes about the beauty of film and, and how easily and how beautifully it, it, uh, it translates the world. I think it's a, it's, a, it's a great thing, and it's kind of neat to see that a lot of people have been inspired to pick up film through these two guys. And so I think that, you know, I look back and, you know, I, the first film that I ever shot was Triax back in 1972. And, and to me, that film still looks great today as it did back then. And I think, wow, I want my photos to look that, that, that great. I don't want them to look dated. I don't want them to look like the spot color of 1997, you know, with the background black and the, the flowers red or the, 1970s version of the head and the brandy snifters. I mean, to me, that stuff is just like, it screams so much of that time. And it's almost become, it's almost become a joke, I think, because of that. And I wonder, will some of these treatments be that same thing in 10 years time? So I don't know. One of the things that I, I encourage people to look at is your work with, with Flash. I think you're one of the better people out there in terms of working with speed lights. And I was very impressed with your your approach. And one of the things that surprised me when I saw is how often that you'll bounce the Flash, not off the ceiling, but actually the wall behind you. Yeah, and, yeah. And the look that you get from it is just, just beautiful. Tell us about... What's allowed you to be able to do that? Because I know that the, the latest generations of cameras have certainly helped you in, in that they respect. Have. Well, they've helped me, the fast aperture prime lenses, and then the, the flash has, has helped me because those flash heads can turn all the way around so that they point directly behind me. And if you go to watch, if you ever watch me at a wedding, it's almost always pointed over my left shoulder. And that creates a big source of illumination directly behind me. So if you can imagine that light hitting a wall coming back, looking like a six or seven foot light source, and that's what I'm trying to emulate. I'm trying to emulate the Ellenchrome Octobox and me standing in front of it. And um, that's kind of where I'm, where I'm going with the light. Well, the last question I always ask is I asked of the photographer to recommend another photographer for our listeners to consider or explore. So who would that photographer be for you and why? Well, it would be probably Josef Kadelka, the Magnum photographer. He is one of my all-time favorite photographers, and I love how he works with light shape and form and gesture. I mean, I, I think this guy is the total package. He works with really simple tools from what I understand. I don't, I don't know the man personally, but I just, I, I mean, I would look at, I look at his photographs and they just, they just are so mysterious and so beautiful and haunting that I just want to know more about what's going on. And I just think that he is, uh, for somebody who's trying to learn how to work with wider lenses and normal lenses, like a moderate 30. It looks like he works with a 35 millimeter and a 50 millimeter lens, but I, I don't know that for sure, but it, I'm just kind of analyzing it. And I just think that what he does with those two lenses is pretty amazing. Well, that's a great recommendation. I love his work as well. And you can find his work at the Magnum Photos site and then just click on Kadelka. And it, it was funny because when my wife and I went to France in 2002, um, we happened to go to Perpignan, and then we drove up to Arles just for the day, and we stumbled upon the Arles Photo Fest, which was being exhibited all over the city. They had their big uh, um, 
festival in July, but the photos were still being hung all throughout town, even in September. And it happened to be that the artist that they were showcasing was Kadelka. And I was just like, whoa, this was amazing. And so they had his panorama photos. He had, they had his documentary photographs. I mean, it was unbelievable. I was just like a kid at Christmas. It was just amazing. Well, thank you so much for making time for me today and for finally making this happen. I really appreciate it. (laughs) My pleasure. It's been fun. Thanks for joining me again. And if you have any comments or suggestions, please email me at thecandidframe at gmail.com or post a message on the blog at thecandidframe.com where you can also submit a donation in support of the show. You can join the greater community of photographers by joining us on Facebook, Flickr, or Twitter. Links to each can be found on the web. And make sure to check out the blog each week where I post a listener photo of the week from the Candid Frame Flickr pool of images. Till next time, this is Ivarian X. Perello, and this is The Candid Frame. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com.